I'm gonna have to get some paint on on here or something and just sort it out because it's just not suitable. Um, anyway, uh, welcome everybody. Uh, welcome everybody to Founders Focus episode 35. I counted, we've done 20 of these, 21 of these actually. This is the 21st episode we've done this year where we have been spending time with the founders of recruitment and recruitment technology companies, um, essentially trying to figure out you know what their uh, motivation was uh, to take something as high risk as to set up a company uh, in order to try and solve some of the recruiting problems that they encountered doing the work of recruiting. So um, it's definitely become one of my favorite things to do, favorite work things to do every week. Uh, and I'm hoping I'm going to be able to keep keep this kind of weekly cadence going for next year as well. So if you are a founder of a recruitment tech company, you want to get involved, uh, let me know um, and we'll see whether you pass muster and we'll get you involved. Anyway, um, today um, we have our good friend um, at uh, Talantia. It is Christian Payne, CEO of Talantia. Christian, great to see you uh, on the show. Thank you. Yeah, really great. I've been looking forward to this. It's uh, yeah, It's been in the diary, I think, since March and I nudged it a couple of times, but we're finally yeah. here. That's right. You were meant to be like coming in at episode like 17 or something, but we had to keep bumping it down for various reasons and what have you. And we will talk about that because one of the things I want to discuss with you today is how do you lead a business in, in tumultuous times? That's part of it, you know, easy street to be a business leader and a, a manager when sales are coming in. It's easy to manage. Everything is ticking it. Yeah, it's like it's sales solves all problems. It's when the sales are starting to dry up. That's when your management skill comes in. So that's what we'll explore a little bit further down the line. Um, but before we kind of kick off, just let me uh, kick, uh, so start with the first question. I mean, in terms of your 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 day to day, like what kind of stuff did you have to move aside in order for us to do this uh, talk today? Like what kind of stuff would typically happen uh, at midday on Wednesdays for for you, Chris? Yeah, normally at this time, I'm uh, hopefully speaking to lots of new clients. That's the dream scenario. Um, so I'm going to assume that would have happened right now. <laughs> um, putting together contracts, all that wonderful stuff, talking with my team. Um, but no, this was in the diary, so it's well planned for. But um, it's actually our like mini talented Christmas party kind of day here. So everyone's rocked up to the office. We've got a few Christmas jumpers going on. Um, they serve some nice, uh, nice Christmas dinner downstairs, uh, downstairs here playing Christmas music. So after this, so the team are patiently waiting for me to do this with you. And then when we're done, we're actually opening some presents. We've all wrapped up a few presents. We put it under a tree in our office and uh, and then we're going out for dinner later. So, uh, yeah. Amazing. Nice so, so actually what we're doing is interrupting the Christmas party. So I I, I apologize to all the talent here crew here because, you know, we've got an hour to have a chat. So uh, thanks for tuning in and be patient with us. That, uh, you know, eggnog or whatever you're going to be having at uh, at uh, at, uh, at lunchtime will be happening for you shortly. Um, Christian, let's go back in time. I think um, this uh, sort of what's the origin story behind uh, Talantia? Like, when did you realize? Was there an event or a moment when you thought, okay, this is happening? I'm going to do it. A lot of us have ideas out there. Right? A lot of us. I'm sure everyone who's watching now or listening. Uh, online somewhere else will have some sort of idea to think yeah i want to start this business never emerges into a real thing you've got to actually get to that moment push through and say i'm doing it do you remember when it was that moment where this was going to happen for you mm, yeah and i'm going to split this in two in terms of the origins of my kind of childhood i think that got me to this point and then what made me pull the trigger to actually launch talent here so um yeah when i was younger though i demonstrated some traits which my friends like to joke about now but uh 
I would go to school and, as a teenager and uh, where they had like what's called a tuck shop in England. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar where they sell all their sweeties and stuff in break time. Um, so I bought chocolate and all of that in bulk and I kind of set up my stall. Exactly. And I just slashed the prices in half and I was making a feeling. So I, until I got shut down by the school when they heard about all these chocolate balls flying around in the classroom. So there's a little start of it, I think. And then, and then I got like a mini arcade. I saved up and got a mini arcade at my house. And that was like in 1994, five, that was like a big thing. Um, and I got invited a lot of people around and I charged them to play my computer. It sounds very nasty now, but created a computer tournament, charged them that, made some money from that. So I think that was the start of it all. <laughs> Right, that's genius. Look, <laughs> I, I didn't know those stories, but I love those stories because I think that is entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, that type of stuff is just spotting an opportunity. The tuck shop is spotting an opportunity. They've got a closed market. Literally, all the kids are going to be wanting their, 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 whatever it is. They've got pocket money to spend. They've got they've got the spending power. Um, so all you need to do is set up a set up some competition, um, which is amazing that you did it. Um, so that was a really good example, and of course. You know, I think people don't understand these days because there's so much access to online stuff, so much access to entertainment. Back in the day, you know, if you had something that you could manipulate on screen in some way, that's a miracle. Um, and yes, you would pay money to, to, to see that stuff. So fantastic stuff. Um, so are you saying that you always wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like when you got into the, the world of work as an employee and what have you, uh, was it in your mind already uh, at that moment? All right, I've got to start thinking about my own thing. Or was there a moment where you, know, you, you might have just become an employee? Like, uh, you know, a lot of people, most people end up you know, doing. Exactly. Yeah. So after those school experiences and even at university, becoming like the president of the athletics club and really thriving on branding the, uh, the you know, our, our university and getting our name out there. That all, and th th then I got into recruitment um, and then three, four years in really enjoying it and everything. But at that time, not knowing what the future would hold. And then uh, and then it's when uh, Dragon's Den came out, um, came out like 06, 07. But I know it's in 2008 that I after watching that and then I got the book by um, Peter Jones. A um, little bit of marketing pin right there, and um, went to the bit, you know, went for a holiday. And of course, while my uh, partner was uh, sunbathing, I was just swatting away, taking notes, and that was it. I just pulled the trigger and started my first business in 2009, which is just, and it was uh, from UK as well, and did that. Um, but then there was a crash at the time, so at the end of 20, 2009, if I recall correctly, so then that stopped, and then I went back into in-house recruitment and RPO. Um, and I was determined to get into Denmark and I moved here. And then the timing came just for a number of reasons. I was working at Maersk as recruitment manager and I, you know, was working with agencies. I'm like, I can do this better. I can do this better. Um, and Maersk taught me a load of things about how to really look after employees, how to develop people, personal plans, you know, their values on the website. They actually lived and breathed it. Um, and I was like, I know I want to do a business now. I can imagine hiring my own team and I can choose the values and choose like the right qualities of a recruiter. So I took that leap of uh, faith, so to speak, in 2015 and started my first business. Well, second. Yeah. No, I, I, firstly, 2009, I think I started my first was 2009 as well. Also Ooh. a fail. I mean, that was a terrible moment. It was, yeah, yeah it, it, it was difficult. But I, I don't think it's a bad thing to fail your first business. Um, okay. I mean, so long as you don't like have a catastrophic commitment where, you know, you put the house in there or what. No, you know, don't take that type of crazy risk. But if you don't know what you're doing, Try it. You, you come away and you learn tons. I mean, I, I basically learned a huge amount through a year and a half of trying to make money and then failing to make money. Um, and then I realized, oh, 
all of those things I thought I knew how to do, actually you don't know how to do. Uh, you need to completely rethink how buying psychology works um, and is a different kind of play. And it took me a long while before I, I kind of figured that out. And now, you know, I wouldn't say I know everything about it, but I'm much more confident about, you know, how things operate and how to trigger buying decisions. Um, so, so yeah, it's not a bad thing to change, uh, to, to experiment with this, with the prospect that, yes, it might fall over. Like, don't fall in love with the first business. Um, interesting you mentioned, though, that the, the, the world in enterprise, Maersk, obviously a huge organization globally. It's got to be one of the biggest organizations around. Um, but it gave you, like, a lot of, like, framework and toolkits uh, to be able to launch a stronger business next time around because suddenly you had the education about how the procedures work and, you know, what kinds of things needed to, uh, uh, to happen in order for you to build a great team and stuff like this stuff that sometimes is difficult to learn if you're working in a small employer, but with a big employer, you do have access to, I think you get access to two things. You get access to toolkit and access to network. Those are two th main values of a big company. Um, can you tell me a little bit about sort of that moment in Maersk where you start to uh, acquire this knowledge? Again, when was the specific moment? Can you was there sort of a point where you thought I'm quitting this and doing it? Yeah, exactly. And I remember speaking directly with my, my and this is a great another thing of Maersk culture is like just be open and transparent. And they so even I said after Maersk, I'm going to want to start my own business. They're like, well, that's awesome. And you know, as long as we've got you, you know, we're going to enjoy the journey. It's like cool, brilliant. Um, and then and just by learning and just. To seeing opportunities where like you know what christian we need to get rid of this agency um, oh we don't have any good agencies for this area it's like oh opportunity opportunity and then one of my hiring managers i got on really well with um she was like sat me down in a meeting it's like okay next year christian in four months um we're gonna want to build a whole new tax team in copenhagen in here and here and here i was like if i went to adam mask would you be willing to work with me and she was like absolutely we'll go through the normal process so and that's what happened so i spoke to my manager said just had this conversation i think my timing is now and is there any chance that i can go for this so she's like cool christian um we'll interview other agencies alongside you we'll do it the formality way and i did that i won it and and i, and I this is one of my favorite stories to, to share about mask um they were so good that they actually gave me a desk to start my business from in the mask building for my first few months and they gave me business i mean I, I, look, I got goosebumps saying that because it's, I really was like so grateful. It's like, wow, sitting in Maersk, I was like, and my new business was called Code Resourcing at the time. Um, and it got me off to the perfect start. So that was definitely my trigger point. You know what? That That is, again, uh, I forget who it was I had the conversation with, but that's that sort of path, that stepping stone might actually be the perfect one where you work with a very close employer or, or a, a partner or some, some organization that you that is big enough to sustain you when you first start rather than just a completely cold start, push out the door and you know, try and pick up some business. That's perfect because you've got some relationships, you've got some supply, you have some income. Uh, you know, if you have an income day one, that just immediately uh, resolves some of the tension. And you'll learn a lot by being that early supplier. So I, I remember one of the probably the biggest mistakes I've made in early iterations of, 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 of running businesses is, is not paying attention to those big early customers that could kind of, you know, uh, change the game. Because I was very inflexible. I was like, okay, here's the product. Here's a service. Don't care who you are. This is how it's going to be. Looking back, I'm thinking, okay, what I could have could and should have done was have a more customized concierge solution for that particular organization because it was worth that yeah. it was worth it to do to do to do that um 
So, okay, excellent stuff. So as a business leader, um, Christian, um, there must be things that you know now um, that uh, that you do well and the stuff that maybe you don't do well. Um, putting kind of the self-reflection hat on, uh, what would you say are the, are the things that you do do well as a CEO of a business? Yeah, okay, good. Um, so I'd say, um, and, I, and I made up before the score, but what are, what are the traits that I... I in you know I embody and what would I would I recommend? So um, first is is tenacity. That's I you know just that absolute desire to get to that goal. You won't give up. You won't let things like stand in your way. We all get bad news in life and everything. It's the ability to you know brush it off, learn from it, move forward. So tenacity is a key trait to to, to grow a company. Having uh, you know good optimism. You know optimism in the right way. Just believing in yourself. Believing you know I know I've got a good product or a brand or a service offering. Um, and they're going to want that. Um, being a visionary as well, um, just seeing that goal and, and just you know meticulously sticking to it. Um, having the deep industry knowledge is an absolute strong plus point as well. So if I want to start a business in recruitment, having done it for at that time fifteen years and just you know living and breathing the industry and having the network, it gets you off to the perfect footing. And obviously, I was very lucky with Mersk, um, starting off opening my company doors with a with a big brand to start with. Um, and passion, I think, which I hope comes across here. Just, I just still after 19 years of recruitment, I live, breathe it, love it. I get a job offer, and I'm texting my wife like, "Oh, is this has happened?" It's like, "How cool!" It's like, and, and I did this in my first few weeks, and it doesn't go away. So, um, they're the traits I'd say are my strong points. It's just like my absolute clear passion and love for what I do, my direction, and my desire to. And I'm all about customer centric, so clients or candidate experience have it as that's king that's on point if you always look after your customers um it will come back to you you know what that's really good self-awareness christian and and i think you're right when you say resilience is important um uh, i think your optimism feeds into resilience doesn't it i mean sometimes it's the people that are i wouldn't say depressive but the people i see are the worst with the worst outcomes of everything oftentimes are the people that are more more brittle because they can't see another opportunity or another way out because it's all crashing down and it's you know they're in the doom loop so to speak so yeah you, you do need even however catastrophic things might be you, it's about perspective um the stuff you can control and stuff you can't control let's not be miserable over the stuff you can't control but you know uh, look examine the things you can and you'll find some optimism there because you can kind of make small changes in some place uh that will make you uh, slightly uh, a better circumstance than you have than you have currently um and uh, and the, the the sort of the vision i love the way when you said vision um because i think a lot of people have a, a, like an overly mystical understanding of vision you know it's, it's like you know this person needs to be some sort of prophetess or something you know <laughs> like a magical inspiration but it's not it's just understanding what a distant goal is uh, you know it's understanding a bit of distance from the operational today and then figuring out you know what well, we want to be at this point at some point um and, and you know keeping that always as the orientating uh sort of uh, thing that keeps you keeps you going to to where you need to be and uh, it's important for when you need to make the hard choices um because when we have a benevolent environment um and it's easy to make all of there are no hard choices because it's all easy choices then the vision you know is not the most important thing at that moment it's when crap hits the fan so to speak that you need to make okay it's either a or b and either one is not an optimal outcome that vision is going to be the one that tells you which one is the correct uh, correct choice let's talk about it uh, christian because 
obviously this year, last 18 months even, it's been chaotic, it's been up and down, it's been very, very difficult for companies that are supplying in recruitment services. We've had incredible like ups and downs, like we've never seen it. It's, it, it the graph would be like, you know, a seismic chart, if you like, um, in terms of how it's operating. How did you handle that psychologically and practically? So psychologically as a leader, seeing massive, oh my God, massive growth market coming and crash. Uh, how do you deal with that psychologically? And as a leader, how do you handle it when you know tough decisions got to be made and you got to keep the morale high no matter uh, what the bad news is? So first of all, uh, the psychological aspect, uh, Chris. Yeah, exactly. So it definitely helps when you've been in the game for 19 years and you've seen a recession before um, and you've tried a business before and failed um, and learned from that and tried again, dusted yourself off. So that really, really helps. Um, and seeing cycles and knowing recruitment cycles, knowing the summer can be quiet. Um, and even December's a pretty notorious month for winding down three weeks in advance, right? And, and then um, and then it goes mental in January. So it really helps her seeing that and experiencing it. Um, and I shared this with my team. And so I hired a few uh, grads or people new to recruitment. And I think now they realize that I literally do explain the interview. It is a total roller coaster. Um, I think anyone knowing and working in recruitment for a long time, there's no such thing as stability uh, or a plan. You know, it, it does suddenly like everyone needs to work with you. And then a few months later, um, smells of a recession um, or news announcements just trickles down and spreads fear. So that helps. That's my first answer was, is um, just experiencing, navigating and seeing it before and, and not getting too faced by it. Yep, I think that's super important. It's almost like the scars on your back, you figure yeah. it out. So, so, so uh, the first time does seem like doom and gloom, but this is where the, maybe, uh, again, I don't want to age you, Christian, but maybe mm -hmm. this is where you, when you have a generational diversity uh, within business might actually be useful because you're going to have some people that have been through different, different economies, different markets, um, and they're able to provide perspective. Whereas if everyone's in the same boat, let's say you're all graduates, you're all set up a business. This is the first time you've encountered something like this. There may not be anybody like a trusted elder, so to speak, that can give you a, a bit of ballast um, and say, you know what? Yeah, this this kind of thing is is likely to occur, um, or it has happened before, and this is typically what occurs in these circumstances, um, and and that's helpful. And, and the more times you go around, and more times you survive, the stronger you get. Like the more confident you would be, in the sense that look, I've seen this before. Um, it's it's something that I've survived and thrived sort of thereafter. Um, it's it's this going to be the same again. So so yeah, I think that experience is uh, is critical. How do you communicate that sense of ballast to 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 the team though? Because yeah. You mentioned already some young people joining in, early entry folks. And additionally, it's like dispersed, right? So you're also now in sort of semi-remote or even fully remote sometimes. So you, you don't have that at-desk support that typically you know, back in the before times you would have. So how did you communicate this? And how did you you know factor in this idea that some of these people are physically further away? So you've got to you know, have a different way to communicate. So when, yeah, when it started getting a bit stormy weather, so to speak, was around... April, May, June of last uh, last year, or is that this year? Okay. Time flies when you're having fun. Every, yeah, every year, Chris, but, but certainly yeah. this year. Yeah, certainly this year after Q1, I think the the, the, the the crap started hitting the fan for sure. Yeah, yeah. So we were actually all in an office um, before it started getting pretty rough. Um, it was so important just to have be honest in communicating with the team. It was like, okay, you know, and we could see it. You could see it, right, in, the, in our business model as well. Like, you know, just 
the amount of recruitments were just dropping and dropping. Things were being put on hold, and you can just you know, it's very transparent in that way. Um, and we'll probably comment this later, but one of the ways I had to steer the ship through this tough time is to uh, look at cutting costs, and one was to drop the office immediately. So I communicated to Stephen, "This is why we're doing. You know, we're, we're dropping the office. We're going to go. We're going to give remote a go for the summer." Um, that was obviously a hot topic as well during COVID about remote. Um, a lot of my team really do love coming to the office, so I actually had to bend their arm a bit and say, "Hey, just you know, it's going to be four months. Hang in there." Um, and that was a tough time, honestly. And, and if you speak to anyone at Talentier, I think that was probably the worst time when we had the least amount of recruitments. We had quite a big team. I bulked up um, at the start of the year. I had some uh, some clients saying, yeah, we're definitely going to scale. It's going to be a big project. I was like, And it was just like the hot thing in January is, is like to snap up the good recruiters. So I was getting them. I was getting them. It's like, great, I got the team. And then it just went quiet. So really tough time. But the way you do that... Um, and my learning from that, and especially now, if you speak to my team, I'm just all about transparency. So I now start each month with some bit of transparency on some numbers, money in, around it, but money in, money out, this is profit or loss. This is what I predict for the next month. This is what I'm doing about it. Um, this is the role you play in it. And if any of my team members you know, are on the bench, as one would speak, when you're in RPO, I'm between projects, I'm winning ad hoc work here and then hey do you mind just doing this or contributing to the website it's really and just reinforcing your value in the company and hey the storm will pass i will trust in me i will get the business in hang in there keep a smile and we'll get there so communication and transparency are absolutely key and as a business manager business owner taking the right financial decisions and cutting when necessary um, and adjusting you know what that's uh... Transparency, having it like a default transparency almost solves the communication problem, doesn't it? Um, you, know, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, how do you communicate it? Well, actually, if you're just like transparent, uh, there is no communication crisis. You're simply just relaying what's going on. Um, and you do that in a very regular, routine manner. I know this from doing brain food in a relentlessly regular way. People end up trusting it because it is always regular. Um, so if you're the CEO of a business, you're a leader of a company or even leading a department, small team or whatever it is, and you create a ritual where every start of every month, this is going to happen. Um, and then or start of every week, start of every day, it doesn't matter what, what, sort of what the, the frequency is. So long as there is a regularity, people end up trusting that as a thing. Um, and that itself is a calming uh, mechanism uh, for when you know, the external environment is chaotic. Um, so it's so a very, very interesting and useful tip uh, on that side, um, Christian. Um, on the tough side where you had to make some tough decisions and cuts and what have you, how did that make you feel as a manager, uh, as a person? And, um, and and is there a way to do that well or badly? I mean, it's it's almost one of, like we've seen a lot of terrible layoffs, right? There's even a hashtag saying bad layoffs, hashtag bad layoffs. And I'm thinking it's got to the point where, you know, the, the people who's incompetently uh, making these tough decisions. Um, how did you, did you do it? Did you educate yourself in some way? Was there a, a method to your, your approach in this very difficult part of management? Yeah, it's, it's, it's never pleasant, right? And um I would say fortunately so some of the staff that that i lost during this year um they were snapped up so while they were pretty quiet or i didn't have much work or i'm like okay guys we're losing a bit of money this month but hang in there and then i've you know some big companies and you know i'm an rpo business as well so it's um takes quite a mindset to want to go in a company out of company be on a bench in a company out of company and that's and i'm learning that too right by starting up an rpo in denmark but 
can talk about that later. Um, but so to, to ease the pain, some, you know, unfortunately I lost some of my really good recruiters and I, you know, I said to them, it's like, if you ever want to come back, please contact me. But that made it easier where people were getting snapped up and giving their notice and I, rather than replacing them, like, okay, you know, let's just keep, keep weathering the storm and hopefully, you know, I'm looking forward to replacing them all hopefully next year as things pick up. Um, but that's been a natural one. But, you know, having to like, you know, unfortunately let go of, let's say my, my finance manager was tough because I really needed him and I don't have skill. That's one of my weaknesses is, you know, is financial management. I've done something about it, but having to like, look at like, right, what are not the main revenue generators? I need my recruiters ready to deploy. Having a finance person, dare I say it as a luxury. Um, I definitely want him back or I want to, to fill that gap. But that's where I had to, to let go and, and, and have to explain to, um, to that former employee why I'm doing it. Um, you know, and I had an amazing operations person in the business as well. Um, and, you know, that was by mutual consent that's just like, okay, you know, my job is done here too, right? I've helped set up an RPA business, um, but also can see, you know, where the ship is steering and the finances and everything. So, you know, now's a good time. So, um, again, with that transparency, you know, with my team, that, that made that conversation easier rather than suddenly, okay, guys, we're not going to be able to pay salaries this month two people have to go and it's a sudden shock. So yeah. I definitely feel that transfer. And I wish I was even more transparent than, than at the very beginning. I've learned by being it more. Um, you naturally worry and think, oh, if I share this or this, are they going to then leave me? Shall I just keep it quiet and try and fix it myself? But actually by being transparent, nobody's left for that reason. And they've, if anything, again, I'll ask them, but you would, you would think or probably sense that, you know what, he's honest. We're in this together. We're gonna we're gonna sail the ship together, and I feel that um, it's a yeah. really nice feeling. So, and, and that transparency, even if it's like um, you know not pleasant information, let's say, no. um, it, it's it's also trust building. It's relationship building. Um, you know, if you are able to give people hard the hard truth, then actually your colleagues and your teammates and your friends will respect you more because you think this guy's not trying to protect me. Um, you know, he's not trying to like a uh, censor information to me because he thinks I can handle it. He's actually telling me what he knows. Um, and that's got to reinforce my respect for that person. Um, and, you know, the, the increase in trust I have for that, for that person. So I, I think, you know, I, I think the style of leadership is pretty much becoming going to become the, the way to do it. Um, uh, you know, I, again, I remember back in my day, I was fortunate to have some great managers, great leaders in, in when I was an employee. But I do recall, um, like one of the things that generally speaking wasn't the case was this degree of transparency. Um, it was pretty much right. You know, the, as an employee, an individual contributor, you just weren't privy to what was going on in the business and you'd just be having to deal with the big announcement. Sorry, folks, <laughs> payroll's not being, you know, everyone's got to take a haircut. Is it what? Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff gets announced and it's like, oh, crap. So that needs to be historicized. We need a new way of talking to people. We need to be much more mature and you'll get your reward back. Um, it's when you try and obfuscate and hide, you know, hide the damage. Um, that's where you increase the damage going forward. Um, so very, very good. Um, you mentioned some weaknesses, some strengths and weaknesses, Christian. What's your attitude toward like uh, your own personal development? Do you see uh, it as a case of, look, I need to just double down on what I'm strong on, uh, in and get people to help me on the stuff I'm weak? Or do you think, actually, no, what I've got to do is actually make sure those weaknesses are patched um, and I'm competent at them? Um, you know, what's, what's your general approach to uh, skills development? Where do you lean into? 
Yeah, exactly. So um, one of my some of my weaknesses are definitely this almost sounds like a cheesy answer to an interview question. My weakness is my passion. I'm, I go all in. Um, but what I mean by that is it totally spills over into like I there's rarely a waking waking hour where I'm not thinking about something about my business. You know, I can be hopefully engaged and playing with my kids and in the zone, and then I suddenly drift off and I'm thinking about something. Or, um, and and any bad news as well can like you know really affect me because I'm that passionate about it and it's my, my yes. baby, my business and it's my brand right so any negative feedback is like oh we we're expecting this from talent here we didn't get that I'm like almost devastated um and that's a weakness and that and that and I'm not even sometimes not even sure how to solve that because that's just so deep-rooted no matter how many times I've dust myself oh, I've seen this before but usually a good sleep definitely helps it never helps to like respond to things immediately on the keyboard like I talk to my wife about an evening I wake up and just it's amazing, like if, if you can just get up and um, and just like I like to go. I'm not a 4:30 person, but a 6:30 is quite a nice time to get up um, and just go for a walk for 30 minutes in fresh air, breathe it in. And I come back um, and I'm just fired up, and suddenly that bad news is like it's the magnitude of it is just so so minimal. So that is definitely of knowing. Okay, I've seen this before. Sleep on it. See how I'm feeling the next day. And my God, it really really helps. So that's one of my weaknesses, would you say, is just like letting emotions really dominate you and it can used to last days, but now it's just a sleep it off thing. Um, and, I, and I know my hands-on people management is not my strongest where I haven't really done it before. I'm definitely committed to my team. I'm sure they vouch for that, they see that. Um, but I'm definitely one to spin 20 plates at once. So I kind of like, hey, I have a one-time with my team. It's like, great, okay, this is your development plan, brilliant. Off you go. and. Hopefully they don't come back in a few weeks because I'm just doing so many other things. Um, and I know that. So I know that I really want, in terms of patching it, if one would say, I want to hire someone that lives and breathes people development. Um, I, I like that too. And I want to see my people develop for sure and thrive. That is the, the core of my business, if one would say. Um, but I, I know that my next hire, or one of my next hires for 2023, is having an amazing people and operations person and talent here. So I know that they've been there, done that to get the best out of the team. Um, to take their career forward. So, and finance, for example, having to having shared with you that so I had to let someone go, that's, that's forced me without whether I like it or not to learn how to do a cash flow forecast. And, and my God, I wish I did that a few years ago. Um, just really knowing my numbers inside out. Um, so yeah, I've taught myself the finances in that respect and now I know my numbers uh, and that's really helped. So um, yeah, identifying where you're weakest at and, and then definitely moving eventually when I have the, a bit more money in the bank as, as business hopefully continues to grow, it's in a good place now and um, fingers crossed it continues, then I can hire people to kind of take off those things that I'm doing, to have someone on the finance, uh, have the people operations side. I just want to focus on the overarching delivery to clients and being the front face of the business meeting with potential new clients um, and trying to win RPO projects really. So that's want to move my time, but that's become now 20% instead of 80%. So. Yeah. In order for talent here to grow, I need to be out there in the business talking to people. Yeah, I totally get it. That's excellent stuff, uh, Christian. And and yeah, the, I guess as a CEO, the, it is a bit different because you have to actually do stuff that you, a you're not good at and b you don't want to do because you are the business. You're, you know, uh, when you start, you are 100 the business. And the journey of a CEO as founder is to try and basically re reduce those components and, and find the right people to end up doing a better job on those things that you're, you know, you're not particularly good at. And eventually even delegate the job away at some point, you know, get, almost everything needs to go is, is, is what you've got to try and achieve. And then I guess at that point you just become, 
you know, an evangelist, let's say, or someone who, who, who's, who's working on a different level of conversation rather than the operational side. So, so yeah, it's very interesting how uh, different CEOs deal with this. Uh, one thing to, worth bearing in mind is that uh, I think everyone leans into doing what they're good at and what they'd like to do. Um, and, and that is a possibly dangerous uh, because it leads to neglect on certain things that are critically important to do. Um, is there some sort of framework that keeps you like to prioritize the right ways in which you're spending your time? Because you may love doing this thing and you end up spending, oh, now it's spending two, three days on this is amazing. But actually that has led to the trade-off where you've neglected this other thing which you hate to do, but that's now turning into a problem because you haven't done it. How do you make sure you keep those that balance in, in place? Exactly. Yeah. So and a great example of uh, putting my passion into where I do. So I'm very, very busy on LinkedIn, creating content and starting to create a YouTube channel with all my videos. And that's and that's doing that. And then I'm realizing by the end of the week, it's like, oh, my God, I hadn't even sent those invoices yet. I mean, I'm, I mean, getting money into the business. Like, why is that been negated down to the bottom of the, my priorities? Because <laughs> it requires me going to the, into the finance system and then creating it. And I, it sounds like it sounds quite ironic that I lose energy sending invoices. I mean, once I've hit send and then I and I finished it, I'm like, that looks brilliant. Look at that money that's coming in in 30 days time or seven days time. Um, so what do I do about it? So now I've actually, I've tried different apps and I've tried putting things in my calendar and we, we we're all trying to figure out a way to be uh, really productive. And then I found an app that really worked for me on my phone. Um, I think it's called Todoist. Let's just see if it's, that's the yep, exact. Todoist, I do know it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So I got my Todoist. I've got my list. I don't know if you're going to see it. Obviously, this is, no, this is not so relevant for people listening to it. There we go. But um, I put my biggest priorities, and I usually do it the night before or things pop up. Um, and I make sure I'm clearing like half of those. And I make sure what must happen to that's the key thing. What must happen today? If I'm waking up Tuesday, what on that list do I want to make sure when I go to bed, they're done? What matters? And so, and and I, and then you can type. I was like, today, tomorrow, and it will, the AI will shuffle it in order of priority. And so, guess what? When I come in, I've got obviously got my calendar things there, but then I open this as well. I'm like, right, let's just get that done, get that done. Um, and I've literally become religious in it now. I want to get my little notification that I've achieved five of my five goals for the day. So that's how it's worked for me. Just a simple little app on my phone suddenly motivated me to do it. <laughs> That's amazing. Folks, do you have a productivity app? How do you do this? Because um, I think we all struggle. We all have procrastination. And in fact, uh, that, that's, got, that's not going to get any easier because there's so many things out there that entertain us, that stimulate us, everything. You can very easily spend your time doing all kinds of crazy things that ultimately are not the most important. So how do you, uh, how do you sort of, what tooling do you use to get this done? Um, so I'd be interested to know that because I'm always looking for something. I don't think I'll figure it out myself. You know, there's lots of things I let slide. Actually invoicing is one of those. Um, it's like, I, I can't, I, uh, that, that, truth be told, sometimes I can't be bothered even send it. It's a really small invoice. It's like, listen, uh, forget it. <laughs> but then you look at it, you think, hang on, hung. You, that's not the way to run any business. Uh, you know, you can't be bothered. You know, come on. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's something everyone's got to get better at. Okay, um, let's kind of look at where you've seen sort of the, the market generally, Christian, because I think you and your service is actually a reasonable barometer um, because you're interacting with customers all the time. You're speaking to the to candidates all the time also. Um, what's your 
general sense as to where we're at at the end of this year and where do you think uh, we're going to be 2022? And bear in mind, I think your core markets uh, are in the Nordics. Not to say you've got some European, sort of mainland European uh, customers, but it's generally Nordics, generally Denmark. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, predominantly Denmark to start off with. Um, we've got some business in the UK and a few of the Nordic countries. Um, and that is my goal for the first couple of years of establishing my business, you know, operate where you know best um, and then have the luxury, especially as I hope to eventually hire more remotely. Currently, all of our team are here in Copenhagen. Longer term plans is to hire remote recruiters in different countries. So if you're listening, brilliant. Um, <laughs> um, and then that's when I can start to look at other markets. But right now is getting my craft right, you know, getting the operational model in place, proving there's demand for RPO in the Nordics, which is um, I'm one of the first to do. Um, but no, it's very positive, actually. It's very positive. Even, um, I mean, the last few months has been a bit of a little, another little shake. We know a recession's coming, or you could argue it's it's, it's in effect with uh, um, the various market uh, situations and circumstances. Um, and I see some of my clients um, putting the pause, you know, the pause button on, and they explain to me why, which is brilliant. So I've got some insights as to how it's looking, but how they feel about it, and what they're going to do for next year. And you, it's a very common theme, especially for startups and scale-ups here in the Nordics, or I'll speak for Denmark. Um, we all, I say we, I'm putting myself in that category because I did, but not to the scale they did, um, got excited um, as, as we were, I say post-COVID. Are we technically out of COVID? That's another, that's another subjective comment, but let's call it post-COVID or at least after the, 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 the mass of it. Um, then technology was booming. Then companies were realizing that there's opportunities to, to start up businesses and serve different um, different needs. And so the demand for people and talent and suddenly companies were wanting their own in-house TA teams like more than ever before. I've never seen it. I've been in Denmark for 12 years. I've come from RPO all my career. I've tried to sell RPO or in-house services for the last seven years. And then suddenly like it's just boomed. Um, so... Why, what am I what am I getting at is so then custom companies have hired so many tech people so many people and it's it's a common reason some of these big CEOs are explaining why the layoffs are happening we got excited we've hired too many we need to pull it back a bit there's a recession coming people spend consumer spend is going to go down we need to react to that it's a very common theme and it's the same here um and I had a similar situation where I got excited hiring recruit. I say got excited hiring recruiters because my clients already warned me and said, we're going to need to use you in 2022. We're going to need to grow. Um, then that got put on hold. And then I'm sat with a team of recruiters that I've hired that are sitting on a bench. And uh, that was the worst thing possible. So what, what is it looking like for 2023? I think it's, I think it's, I think it's positive. Um, as long as the business has made the corrections they should do this year and have, you know, and their cash flow is looking solid. That your income's kind of like you know at least covering your total operating costs for talent here i'm speaking as well you know we've built a brand over 18 months we've got the we found i found the right operating model found the right pricing so we're in the right place and positioning so i think 2023 is going to be good um albeit a combination of a, of a, of a recession and what's happened lately so that's my my, my take on it yeah, it's it, you know what's interesting about one thing to worth that's worth thinking about with recruitment is that we often have counter cyclical uh, sort of uh, experience the wider market because you know when 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 companies for instance are let's say freezing perm hiring and whatnot typically what happens is they need to backfill that with a lot of contingent uh, resourcing 
um, because yeah. there's stuff that still needs to be done within those businesses. They just can't put fixed costs onto the company. Uh, so the costs will come from somewhere else. And again, that's a people supply type of need. So um, I think if recruiters are understanding sort of how that market works and are able to provide different types of person, or should we say uh, different, uh, provide people who are on different types of uh, um, employment contracts, um, be much more flexible, be, you know, providing, if you like, a total talent solution uh, to companies, that's probably where you want to sit. Um, and there's always going to be ups and downs, you know, I mean, again, you look at um, big companies saying, look, we're going to stop hiring in this area. Oftentimes that means increased automation, increased implementation of technology. That actually means uh, an increase of recruiting of technologists. Um, so there's, there's ways in, uh, sometimes you can look at the overly broad. I mean, I'm a big fan of taking a zoom out type of view at the macro level. That's important. Um, but the macro stuff doesn't always uh, manifest uh, in the same way for every business. Um, and if you're most recruitment companies generally are small enough uh, to be able to flit around and find uh, a little a little seam that's going to work for them. Um, so uh, interesting to see this happen. Uh, talking about RPO, you mentioned um, Talantia being kind of a reasonably early mover within the Nordic environment. Um, can you explain why that is the case? Uh, like why, for instance, um, uh, has this previously not been a popular thing in the Nordics? Why is it becoming popular now? Uh, what's, your, what's your theories on that, uh, Christian? Yeah, and that's a, that's a really great question. I, and I sometimes still wonder the same, right? So, um, like I said, I came from RPO. So, RPO is very well outsourcing recruitment, you know, for, for even for, for more simplicity, is uh, well established in the UK and it was in Germany and the US. There are markets that are, you know, quite far ahead. And I've always viewed Denmark as a relatively behind the curve in. Um, in, in the recruitment sphere um, for many reasons. Um, and then even when I came to Denmark with my RPO background and, you know, wanting to try and speak to companies and saying, have you thought about, you know, RPO or have you thought about just outsourcing rather than hiring an FTE every time? There's better ways of doing this. And um, even even recently, I'm reaching out to customers. I mean, this is now my job to establish outsourcing an RPO in, in Denmark. I, I feel I'm one of the first or at least I can only feel that by the feedback of customers who've never heard of this concept before. So um, trying to encourage them. Really like, point. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. Not really good proof it. point. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my job to then explain the benefits. And, and interestingly, I've got a video coming out next week. I've just had it. Um, the final edits done yesterday and the whole video is about um, recession and outsourcing. So what companies do during a recession and how to leverage outsourcing. Um, you think outsourcing is a high cost. Well, I'm going to get a recruiter for maybe 50, 100% more than what I would get if I hired them myself. Um, you know, that's a, a classic feedback, as you can imagine. I've heard quite a quite a number of these, and is explaining the benefits of having, you know, deployable team put in your environment. There, you know, they're they can start within two weeks, three weeks, whatever it may be. Instead of having to put a job out for wait three months, they are ready to you know, go in and just start making, you know, making hires, knowing how to do the advert, et cetera. And then when you're done, just turn it off, 30 days notice, talented, and carry on, right? So I really feel that, and it's looking really good for the future and for the foreseeable years, I really feel that RPO is a solid place in the market. Um, you know, the, the freelance recruiters is only going to get bigger. That, that is, I am certain of. Um, so by establishing that was one of them, trusted go-to RPO companies that have got years of experience and proof and all these client testimonials. Um, it's only, only a good thing. Yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right. Um, the, uh, 
there's actually there was even pre-COVID, there was a movement for companies to try and create more flexibility in their workforce. Um, uh, you know, to reduce the overall percentage of uh, uh, of, of FTEs in their uh, uh, workforce population, increase the numbers of people that are on different types of contracts because they want to be able to literally you know, agile the small A. It's like okay, sometimes you have a, a need, sometimes you don't. You want to be able to scale up or down your resourcing uh, rather than carrying. You know too many people that then need to you've got to really think out about redeployment and place and internal mobility and stuff like that which you know big cops have traditionally been very poorer so whilst they're making progress with that and they're also thinking okay how can we um you know create additional more flexibility within the workforce um and ta is a classic example um you know we we as an industry ourselves have experienced the boom or bust within the last 18 months two uh, two busts and one boom at least um, we're over hiring and then boom, everyone's on the market. And then, oh my, lots of people thinking now I'm leaving recruitment. Six months later, hiring a recruiter is the number one hardest job on LinkedIn. <laughs> it's like no one can do it. Uh, so again, we had this oscillation is part of the, the thing that RPO tries to resolve to say, you know what, you don't need to, to buy this person. You kind of rent this person. Um, or you rent this resource and if you you finish utility or you finish your project you can actually just hand this person back so it's a rental model rather than a buy purchase model which of course we're, you know we're educated on this is what it is no one buys music anymore you know we we, we get a subscription service so um so so that's uh, uh the pattern of play um fragmentation of the market in terms of recruiters i think you're spot on uh, one of the big accelerators in my view on this is a lot of these big tech layoffs you're hearing about um, of which, uh, you know, I think VC back companies, something like 200,000 people may have been let go over the course of this year. Obviously, it's not a huge number uh, uh, globally, but it's enough in that high visibility um, and high compensation space, of which some of the, the, the best recruiters in terms of remuneration are, all, are in amongst that group. My argument is, What's going to happen is a lot of these companies will also set up RPO type businesses um, because rather than them go to a, another company, you may be paying them a bit less or whatever it is. I think they're going to say, you know what, do it yourself. Um, and, and so I think competition will, will start flooding in. Have you got any strategies uh, 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 on that, uh, um, uh, Christian? Um, you know, if you're walking around still educating the market uh, today, um, let's say 12 months down the line, actually, uh, some of the dudes ahead of you. <laughs> so it's like, how are you going to deal with it when the market becomes thick with competition, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and you'll see me smiling rather than uh, having intrepidation and fear. It's honestly, I see competition as a good thing. That tells me that that tells us that there's a demand for it, right? Why, why am I one of the only ones doing up here? Um, and I know that by having you know good competitors like offering their services, knocking on the doors, if they end up speaking to me, they probably now already had that pitch, and hopefully a bad pitch. Who knows? But. Um, and therefore, it just makes my job easier to, to win business when the, you know, there's more and more demand. So I want to see the demand. And I, and I honestly, competition is healthy and I want to see others succeed too, um, to my advantage. And I'm ready for that. I know my competitors in their RPO space. Um, and it's just a matter of time before they stick their flag in the sand and say, we've won this client and now we're opening an office there or whatever it could be. It's inevitable. Um, I can't just like hog Denmark and hope that no one comes along. It, it's, it's inevitable, right? So embrace that and be ready and be positive for it and think of it as a good thing. Um, that's how I do it. But at least I've got a bit of a head start. And at least I've been in Denmark for a long time, for 12 plus years now. I've got my network and I 
always deliver and you know to the best of my variability all nearly all of our businesses come from repeat business or someone who's worked for me or had a touch point with me in the last 10 years so i've got a very big lead in that respect um and only by having talent here and continuing to build our brand build on it build on it get case studies we're now just getting our first case studies through right we're 18 months in existence um we've got our first four five actually six case studies now and we're reaching out to a, to a nice web developer to uh, to create a good landing page just to showcase that. And then you get and the cases get bigger and bigger and bigger. It starts with a, a six person project, which then becomes a you know a bigger one, a bigger one. So I, I'm learning and learning and learning, tweaking my services, fixing my you know making sure my operational model is sound and tweaking it. So at least I have that lead time in the Nordic market on how to operate an RPO. So um, it's all good with me. Yeah, I, I love the attitude, and that's quite right. Um, it is a case where if there's more people out there uh, kind of educating the market, the better it is, uh, and you can sharpen your edge with competition as well. If you're, I mean, I do know a few companies where I do think the the, the, the wandering around without competition is really a strange scenario um, because they, I think they have got a genuine solution, um, but they're spending all their time educating um because they're the only ones doing it um and it's like wow it's like a lot of the time they're not even in the position to sell because the 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 the, the market is not aware that this is even a problem so i think it is better to have a lot of uh, companies out there with the similar messaging talking about uh, you know this is this is a, a new way of operating then competing on you know, the policy, competing on you know wh whether you've got the the better fit in terms of the service or you know the the the, the style of delivery you have or the, or the cost model or whatever it is. So uh, so yeah, I think that's all uh, all going to be healthy and uh, and good. Um, okay, um, let's kind of go and think about um, a leadership advice or entrepreneurial advice, uh, Christine. People might be listening into this and thinking, you know what? Yeah, I do fancy launching a recruitment business or some business of some type. Um, what sort of advice would you give that person? Like, for instance, let's 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 sort of uh, break down the the advice a little bit. Um, what kind of thing would you say this person is likely to encounter as a problem um, as a first time? Um, founder of a recruitment company, what is that thing and how would you advise them to, 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 to deal with it? So the very first thing, whether it's recruitment or any market actually, is obviously to check there's a need for your, for your service. Is there a demand for what you're offering? So if you want to start in recruitment and whatever geographic that will be, um, let's take Germany as one example, research the competitors, do they, you know, are they open to either outsourcing or, or standard recruitment? So checking your markets and checking there's a need and just speaking to people. The more market research you can do in speaking to people, and again, this comes with the industry experience. The more industry experience you have, you probably have your finger on the pulse to know if there's a market or not. So, but that's my first bit of advice is to check in there's a market and a need. Good, check. Okay, there's that. Um, then another piece of advice from the top of my head is just knowing your numbers very early. Um, do, doing the cash flow forecast yourself. Ideally, having some money to start with. I mean, cash is king. No cash equals no business. So having some, ideally, if you're going to start a business, having something to put into it yourself. Most businesses you can start for free these days. Yeah, you can get a website. You can get, um, there's so many tools and wonderful tools you can get for free. So you can run cheap and run just on your own. As long as you can pay your own bills for the first months. And then when you make your first hire, if you choose to do that or you want to go solo, having the money in the bank to make sure, okay, it's going to take time for them to ramp up. I need to train them. I need to win business for them, right? So as, soon, as your headcount increases, increases, you need to be more of a salesperson or have a good pipeline. 
So always just be very good with your numbers and know that you're scaling at the right speed and pace and having that cash flow reserves. I made that mistake actually, so I can you know can testify to that. I wasn't that hot on my numbers. I got excited. I brought in a load of recruiters. Suddenly the breaks came on at the same time. It was really bad timing, and I watched my cash flow decimate, absolutely decimate. So um, that would be it. And I must admit, when you're doing your own profit and loss, and you're seeing how much you're spending and how much you're earning, it's really really motivational to see that number on the spreadsheet. And then I'm like looking at thinking, I can trim that. I can trim that. I want to see that number be a nice clean number, like plus 100,000 krona per month or plus a million, whatever it could be. What do I need to do to get that? If I just get one more sale and give a recruiter that, we've got that. If you're driven by numbers in that way, my God, you're, it's a very, very healthy place to be. It drives you to win business. It drives you to cut costs. You don't get excited when a new shiny tool comes on the market. I say that, I did this, and I bought the LinkedIn executive license, and I've got 18 recruiter licenses, which I'm only using six of. Um, don't get me started on this, but I am paying up fortune for LinkedIn and I got too excited there and I'm now paying the price so in hindsight it's a wonderful thing look at your numbers do I really want that on my cash flow every month because we've got to make the money to cover that and more um, so that's my advice in st starting up and then big big favorite of mine is focus on your branding personal branding and company branding that is what wins you business create content get known in your industry and the market think about your target audience who are your target clients what is the problem I'm solving for them? And then how can I articulate that? If I know companies are having a problem with getting a recruiter within one month or how to do this, I'll create some content and, I, and I'll show that I'm the voice of, you know, say authority, but you know, an expert in my field. Keep putting out content. My team quite happily create their own content. I don't tell them to, have told them, ask them politely, say, hey, if you want to do some content, and I even did a competition one month, hey, whoever, does a, you know does some posts and if they get a bit you know good bit of traction then you get a little bonus in your pay packet just for fun no pressure just enjoy enjoy the journey but otherwise just enjoy branding yourself but this is how you win business um i'm a bit more of the i'm from the old school way of um picking up the phone and cold calling there's a phone book or there's a recruitment database christian you start from z and go backwards i'll start from a we'll meet you in the middle <laughs> I'd say that's all relatively dead. I, I know there's some amazing cold call people or salespeople out there and, and credit to them. It's a tough, tough gig. Um, and it does have a place if uh, you know your you know your market really well. But branding, branding, branding. I'm very fortunate that most of my clients have come to me from just, I've seen Talenteer, I've heard of Talenteer, I heard you do this. It's like, it pays dividends. And you create, create the content. Suddenly someone's contacted me eight months. And it's like, I saw your post like eight months ago. It's like, but I didn't see you like or click on it. It's like, oh yeah, but I see these things. A lot of people watch, but they don't interact. Then they pick up the phone because if you're posting content once a week, when they suddenly randomly log into LinkedIn, maybe once a month or two months because they don't live and breathe LinkedIn like we do or I do, <laughs> when they log in, guess what? One of my posts is gonna surface to the top because I've posted recently. So I would absolutely advocate to try and focus on your brand when you're starting a business. It will pay back dividends. Right. I think if you you want to take anyone listening to this as think about selling a business, you want to just basically take the last uh, five minutes of, uh, of of Christian's commentary there, because I think that's just rock solid advice, particularly in recruiting. I mean, recruiters live on LinkedIn, sort of people that need recruiters. Um, we need to stop thinking of it purely as a place like a, a database of candidates. It's actually a massive sort of uh, broadcast channel um for your for your services um and it's not about just like selling hard it's selling soft by and selling selling smart 
by talking about the problem set that your business is trying to solve um, and addressing the audience that has this issue. Um, and if you've got some sort of things you can say intelli intelligently about those problems, then that's actually going to be the way in which you resonate with a future buyer of your business. Um, it's not going to happen if you just bang on and say, yeah, yeah, we're selling this. No, it's about dealing problem focused, sorting the problem out and then demonstrating your, uh, your kind of credibility in that space. And you know what, on the regularity of it, you know, obviously I'm massively regular on LinkedIn as well. I'm uh, on LinkedIn right now. Um, two people's chagrin, I think. I think people are probably a bit tired of me being on there all the time. But um, it's like, okay, um, I, I think it kind of helps in some weird way. You know, it's sort of... It, to increase your level of recognition is just better than not being recognized at all. Um, like you, you're in the conversation and you're in the room. So, you know, if I'm looking for some sort of way to scale up recruiting in the Nordics, for instance, uh, I know now, and hopefully people will know also that talent are going to be in the conversation. Um, there may be an equally competent organization that no one's heard of, but they're not going to be in there because no one knows them. Um, and so getting that type of footprint online is, is, is easier and easier, not something to neglect. Um, and again, I think that leans in a little bit to what type of leader you are and, and, uh, the, the leader that's able to lean into the public side of it, I think has a competitive advantage, um, you know, because they can directly address the audience, directly address the people they're speaking to at very little cost. It's no longer a case where you need to you know, spend 50 grand on, an, uh, on a, a news, news, newspaper campaign or something uh, or buy a TV ad for whatever. No, who does that anymore, right? You get onto a social network, get onto a platform and talk about your uh, topic and how you're going to solve it. Okay, Christian, listen, I'm coming to the end of our chat. I don't want to kind of keep you here any longer because you've got Christmas lunch to have and team members to celebrate with and so on. Um, in terms of what is sort of that sort of scenario, uh, is there an end of, uh, are you closing down for Christmas at any time? How does it work in Denmark? How does it work for uh, you guys at Talantia? Yeah, glad you asked. So I chose to um, give all my team, um, like a, from the 23rd, maybe even 22nd, I'll tell you about this in a second. From the 23rd, shut down your computer, you're off. Um, and I don't want to see you back until the 2nd of January. Just reach, and you don't have to, and that, that was on me. So you know, they all get 25 days holiday, but there's a bonus five. Just there you go. Just that's on me. Enjoy your holiday. And then actually, just a little caveat I said, and I, and on the Slack channel, I said to my team, I was like, I know most of you aren't interested in football in the World Cup. However, if England win the World Cup, you'll get a bonus day off. And suddenly we've got a few football fans. <laughs> Come on, England. That's amazing. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, World Cup is going to be something that to pay, pay attention to. Um, and obviously, uh, England's performances have been excellent. We've seen Portugal yesterday really step up and be amazing. Brazil, obviously, are very strong. Um, it's going to be, there's some very good teams in, in this competition now. Um, but I think England are amongst it. There's no, there's no team I think would fancy it. Uh, England, France will be Titanic. Uh, that is a Titanic clash, uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, all right, listen, Christian, let me let you go. Thank you so much for your time. Great to join us in Founders Focus. Enjoy your Christmas lunch with the team. Say hi to the team for us. Um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, let's keep chatting. We'll talk to you next year, I'm, I'm, I'm no doubt. Thanks so much, Hung. Been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Wasn't he a great guy? He's one of my favorite uh, favorite people. Um, really good to get to know Christian uh, over the uh, the last uh, year or so. Um, and good luck to him and his business. If you are scaling your business in any way, you're looking for recruitment support, 
Um, particularly in the Nordics, um, give Christian and his team a call. Um, they've got a really uh, interesting set of uh, uh, solutions for you, which you can kind of take up or down in a very on-demand type of way. So go ahead and check them out if you uh, if you're interested. Uh, okay, um, that's the the last founders focus for this year. Um, we'll be back. We've got a couple more brain food lives. We're going to take it all the way to the 23rd of December. Uh, so uh, I'll see you back here for uh, brain food lab on air on Friday where we will be talking about social class and accent bias in hiring. Folks, do you have a regional accent? Um, do you feel that your social status has caused you some issues at some point in your career? Um, and if so, what the heck are we as recruiters meant to be doing about that? Um, uh, bear in mind, have a think. How many CEOs do you know that are actually Scousers or Cockneys or Geordies? Um, how many of them ever achieve any kind of political leadership? Um, all, of the, all of the leaders, particularly in the UK, come from a certain social class, certain way of speaking. Um, is this a problem? And if so, how do we deal with it? That is the topic of Brain Food Live on air. Make sure you uh, follow the channel on Crowdcast to get updated on this. Or if you're watching this on LinkedIn, follow uh, sort of my profile because I'll be uh, broadcasting it on LinkedIn Live uh, via uh, my personal profile on Friday. Okay, that's about it. We'll see you in a couple of days. Thanks for watching.